Hello and welcome to Afternoonified, the holliest, jolliest podcast this side of the North Pole. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. Um, but that doesn't, I mean, logistically that doesn't work. Like, which side of the North Pole? That's not... <sighs> The east side of the North Pole. <laughs> the lower east side. Where Gossip Santa lives. That's the upper east side. That's where the fancy Santas live. Oh, I I have never... I, I've been to New York twice. I don't know anything about New York, though. <laughs> or Gossip Girl. <laughs> you that, too. I'm going on my third cup of tea today, so... Fun. I had three cups of coffee and a hot chocolate, and now I'm drinking wine. So I'm I'm waiting for this evening to use one of the mugs that you got me to make hot chocolate in and put peppermint peppermint schnapps in. <gasps> Perfect. Which which one are you going to use first? I mean, probably the fox one. I figured as much. Um, but I'm going to make Travis use the uh, the uh, the smartass the one. Smartass one. That that does feel very much like a Travis mug. The thing is, I'm finally getting to go to Target today, and I was going to pick out Christmas mugs, but at this point, I think I might be good on ceramic wares. I laughed so hard when I got my mug from Sadie, because she's like, I got you and Emily the same thing, and it's like, I also got her mugs. I got her, like, three mugs, so she's going to have a lot of mugs. (laughs) It's like, and I know you already have a lot of mugs, so I, like, hesitated. Then I was like, nah, these are real cute, though. No, I I needed to go through and get some of my more chipped uh, hard to drink ones out of there. Like I have had this Game of Thrones one that was like thirty ounces. Like it was a fucking big gulp coffee mug. Like oh, when am I right. ever gonna use that? But yes, uh, the bracelet Sadie got me says eat a dick. <laughs> nice. And I believe you got uh, I just fucking love cats. Yes, which is accurate. I wore it on my first day of work. <laughs> I was planning on wearing it to work on Monday this week, and then I got food poisoning. <laughs> anyway, Merry wow, Christmas. We haven't even touched upon what this episode was about. Um. Well, we um, have talked about Christmas a little, which it's that time of year. It is that time of year. <laughs> Bitches be Carolyn. Um, please make a note for us to make t-shirts that say that next year. Bitches be Carolyn. Yep. Yep. So we're going to talk about Christmas music, specifically Christmas music, uh, specifically English language Christmas music. Because we're less inclusive than Gossip Girl. Uh, okay. So <laughs> fuck you. Uh, I have to make that caveat because, like, there are a lot of holiday songs from other countries and are in English, and there there was also supposed to be a section about Hanukkah and Kwanzaa songs, but I'm not black or Jewish, I know, uh, and I felt unqualified to teach people about the finer details of these holidays that I have, like, I don't know, I'd say medium understanding of. Yeah, that's fair, I get it. So, and I didn't just want to talk about, like, the dreidel song. Like, it's just, it wouldn't have been good. But they do have some fucking bangers from what I found in the brief research that I did do. So I mean, I've always been a fan of the dreidel song. I know that's not the only one, but... Yeah, apparently Sasha Baron Cohen's brother wrote a Hanukkah song. Hmm. And Peter, Paul, and Mary had a Hanukkah song as well, which I do love me some Peter, Paul, and Mary. It's excellent weed doing music. <laughs> Which is what Puff the Magic Dragon is about. I don't know if you guys knew that. Really? Yeah. I mean, it might actually kind of be about a dragon, but like, think about the kind of person who would write a song about a magic dragon named Puff. Children and or. Peter, Paul, and Mary. Potheads. Yep. I was trying to think of something real 70s square to say. Marijuana. Yeah, marijuana doers. Hippies. Those reefer crazed hippies. We're going to find out where the hell these songs came from and like, why Rudolph came into it, and all of that really fun stuff. So, the root of the word carol. Oh my god. Is n- <laughs> Webster's not- Dictionary defines carol. Exactly. Uh, so the root of the word carol lies not in the song, but in a dance. Oh. Uh, in Old French, carol, with an E, means kind of dance. And in Latin, charalo... Fuck me. <laughs> Latin is the easiest language to pronounce. In Latin, chorala means a dance to the flute. And yeah. in Greek, it probably chorala. And in Greek, choralis means flute player who accompanies the choral dance. Yeah, so. Although there are some carols centering around religion, 
Uh, I most of them up until the uh, 40s. Some carols are about religion. These songs were originally secular, meaning non-religious. Um, and they were up-tempo melodies with alternating choruses and verses associated with traditional dances. So like many other Christmas traditions, caroling is also thought to have its roots in pre-Christian celebrations of the festival of Yule. Oh, we stole that from the pagans, too. Obviously. Uh, like when Northern Europeans would come together to sing and dance and honor the winter solstice. As carols evolved into Christian tradition, they became hymns, having little relation to any type of dance because hymns are boring. <laughs> you, you've never tried dancing to Amazing Grace? Oh, God. That's not, like, not even that kind of hymn. I'm talking, like, the Latin hymns that you get in the Catholic Church. Oh, yep. Ain't nobody tapping a toe to that. (laughs) So, holiday, Christmas-specifically music, started in Rome in the 4th century. Like, fucking everything else. This is not to say that Judaism and paganism didn't have their fair share of winter holiday bangers before that point. But in terms of finding out the origin of songs like Jingle Bell Rock, we're going to start in Italy, where the Catholics be. Oh, is that what Jingle Bell Rock dates back to? Yes, the 4th century Italy. (laughs) Uh, So these songs were all in Latin and, for the most part, were incredibly dull as they were church-sanctioned hymns with titles like Veni Redemptor Gentium, which I believe means, O come, gentle, redemptor, or savior. Sounds like it slaps. (laughs) Yes, it did slap. (laughs) You're telling me all this, like, my favorite Christmas carol is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, so I really can't make fun. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about what my favorite Christmas song is later. I have a couple. I enjoy Christmas music quite a bit, Um, but my favorite, like, traditional Christmas carol might surprise people. (laughs) Carols didn't become associated with Christmas until the 13th century. Like, there were hymns that Catholics would sing around Christmas time, but it was in relation to the Mass. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Yep. In the 13th century, um, St. Francis of Assisi, that, yeah, the saint. That guy, yeah. The the animal guy. (laughs) I was just going to say, the one that has, like, the snow white animals all over him. Exactly. He's the snow white of the Catholic Church. He is often credited with incorporating upbeat Latin hymns into Christmas services. Is that why they sainted him? That's exactly why they sainted him, Sarah. It wasn't the order of priests that he started or... Or all the, like, good things he did for the poor. Exactly. You know, the stuff Christians are supposed to do. (laughs) Uh, So Christmas carols in English first appear in 19... uh, Not 19. Wow. They first Everyone stops singing for 17 centuries (laughs) and then... I mean, that's not going to be far off. (laughs) So they first appeared in 1426 in the work of John Aldeley, a uh, Shropshire chaplain who lists 25 carols of christmas which christmas in the title of his writing was a c-r-i-s-t-e-m-a-s because old english oh right uh but these were probably sung by groups of wassailers who went from house to house wassailing by the way is kind of like caroling but instead of doing it for the fun of amusing your neighbors it was an exchange between feudal lords and their subjects wassailing so as here we come a wassailing yes is it pronounced wassailing? I've always heard it pronounced wassailing. Yeah. I could be wrong, though. Wassailing sounds dumb. So, like, now that <laughs> I've heard another option. Anyway, so they would trade a song for wassail, which is a thick, spiced beverage. Uh, I I hear it's like a cider, but I've also heard that it's kind of like eggnog, and the middle ground between those two things sounds fucking disgusting. Interesting. But most things were disgusting in the 15th I mean, century. Yeah, I was going to guess like a mulled wine sort of thing, but... That's kind of what I landed on, but they would get that and maybe some food. So the whole thing is kind of like a trick-or-treat situation where the host was believed to be cursed if they didn't provide snacks. <laughs> so in 1582, several carols, which are still popular today, were printed in a collection of late medieval Latin songs. Uh, Early versions of carols such as Christ Was Born on Christmas Day and Good King Wenceslas can be found in this book. And I know you're asking, who the fuck is Wenceslas? Why do we care about him? And that's a good question. (laughs) It's, um, it's not very festive, I am afraid. So in the song, our friend the king helps out a poor man with the help of his page 
And towards the end of the song, the page is like, fuck, it's really snowy. I'm cold. I don't know if I want to do this. And then once it's lost, it's like, follow in my footsteps, which the page did literally. Page was fine. Walking in the snow is hard. I mean, yeah, if you're a dummy. I know, you're from Minnesota. Like, <laughs> but like uh, a page is probably like a 12-year-old boy. Ah, uh, that's fair. It was and probably really this- deep snow because it was before global warming. Yes, and it was um, uh, like Central Europe. So that's how the song goes, plot-wise. And it's all very nice and it's very fun to sing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but did you know that King Wenceslas was also a saint? And that the actual... Yeah, and that the actual carol as we know it was actually written in 1853, but I'm going to talk about it now because versions of it, like, tune-wise, existed way earlier. Oh, okay. So the man we know as Good King Wenceslas was actually Wenceslas I, Duke of Bohemia, which, if I am not mistaken, is... Czechoslovakia? Czech, some, Czech Republic. I don't somewhere know what, in that range. Yeah. It, is not, it has not been Czechoslovakia for... A very long decades. time. Decades. He was also known as Vaklak the Good... And lived from 1907 until the 28th of September, 1935. 1935? 935. 935. I might have misheard you. you- no, I may have also said it wrong. <laughs> um, so yes, 907 to 935. And the reason we have the exact date is that he was assassinated on the orders of his brother, Boleslav the Cruel. So good King Wenceslas and Boleslav the Cool. Cruel. Boleslav the Cool is Bolesl- a very different regent. <laughs> He's cool, man. I don't know. Um, <laughs> sorry, I was gonna say. So he was only like twenty something. Yeah, he was very young. Huh. Um, but you I always have... picture like when I think of the Carol, I picture like an old dude. I picture like a middle aged man. Huh. Oh, and the feast of Saint Stephen, which is the day that he went out, is the day after Christmas. It's, it's yeah. Boxing Day. Not important to the story of the actual King Wenceslas, but I don't know. Interesting tidbit if you're singing the song. So, weirdly, his assassination wasn't the only murder in the family. Well, I'm at, when I imagine you have a brother called Boleslav the Cruel, cruel I, mean, I cannot It's not like talk. that's his Christian name. <laughs> it's not but I'm like, saying, if that's your reputation, I'm imagining you, like, you didn't just murder the one person. No. So, Wenceslas was the son of Ratislas I, Duke of Ratatouille? Bohemia. Yes. The son of uh, Ratatouille I, Duke of Bohemia, from the Presmuslid dynasty. I'm very good at these. These are names. all words. Uh, his grand grandfather, Borovaj of Bohemia, was converted to Christianity by Cyril and Methodius, who I believe were saints and uh, missionaries. You know, trying to get those heathens in the middle of right. Europe. Got to convert all the non-believers. Exactly. So his mother, Drahomira, was the daughter of a pagan tribal chief, but was baptized at the time of her marriage. Which is giving me real, like, that King Arthur movie vibes when uh, Guinevere was a member of a pagan tribe. and Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was a good movie. I reference that movie a lot for not having seen it in, like, ten years. <laughs> I own a copy. Like, I can watch it whenever I want. <laughs> so in 921, when Wenceslas was about 13, his father died and his grandmother, Ludmilla, became regent. Ludmilla, putting that on the baby name list. It is quite a good name. Jealous of Ludmilla's influence over her son, Drahomira arranged to have her killed. And Ludmilla was murdered on September 15th, 1921, allegedly strangled 921? by... 921? S- 921. You God definitely said 1921 I did. <laughs> September 15th, 921. Oh, it's my brother's birthday. 921? Mm-hmm. He is old. So she was allegedly strangled by assassins with her own veil. Rude. Yeah, Drahomira then assumed the role of regent and immediately initiated measures against the Christians. When Wenceslas was 18, those Christian nobles who remained rebelled against Drahomira. The uprising was successful, and she was sent into exile. And thus, with support from nobles, Wenceslas was made the duke, and in order to prevent bad blood between himself and his little brother, he divided the country between them, giving Boleslav a pretty sizable chunk of uh, territory. That seems pretty nice. He just wasn't happy with it? It's like, nah. Yeah. I want I mean, all just, of it. Despite Wenceslas generally being regarded as a very nice guy, which you have to be in order to be sainted, um, in September 935, a group of no- nobles allied with Wenceslas's younger brother and plotted to kill him. After Boleslav invited Wenceslas to a feast, three of Boleslav's companions fell on the duke and stabbed him to death, with the final blow being Boleslav running him through with a lance. Jesus. Anyway, the song still slaps. <clears throat> And that's the story of King Wenceslas, who may or may not have gone out on the Feast of Stephen. Who even knows? 
just when everyone was starting to have fun with their spice cider and snappy tunes about kings, the Puritans, specifically the Protestants, and even more specifically, historical buzzkill and asshole Oliver Cromwell, Uh. stepped in and tried their damnedest to prohibit the public celebration of Christmas, which Cromwell thought was tacky because Christmas was very serious and should be celebrated very seriously and not with songs and dancing and treats. How are we supposed to help the economy, Oliver Cromwell, if we don't have the Christmas shopping season? (laughs) Christmas carols were thought to be reminiscent of paganism, and that was sinful, and also had a lot to do with Catholicism, which was also sinful if you were a (laughs) Protestant. But man, when you're more of a buzzkill than the Catholics. Yeah. If the Catholics are too jazzy for you, you might be doing something wrong. This incense smells too nice. Ban it. That robe is too fancy. Look at that hat. Too tall. Purple at Christmas? Great. You're lighting Always. candles in mm. this economy? <laughs> I mean, it was the 17th century, so. So anyways, December was incredibly dull from about 1945 when Parliament abolished Christmas and made its celebration an offense. Can you say the year again? Because I could swear you said 1945. 1645. I'm sorry to keep correcting you. I don't even know if I said 1945. I might just be mishearing everything you said because I'm tired and drinking wine. Um, So in 1660, Charles II took the English throne again and made the holidays fun. Yay. Well, as fun as they could be in In 1660. Yeah. Not the Middle Ages. I mean, he made the holidays fun for Christians and Catholics. This is to say nothing of the Jews. Mm. (laughs) So this did not stop the Puritans, who carried on their distaste for holiday cheer throughout the centuries and even brought that shit to America for a while. (sighs) You know, this is I'm not going to say it's entirely the fault of the pilgrims, but the fact that the pilgrims were among some of the earliest settlers has a lot to do with why our country is so fucked up. Yeah, no, the the pilgrims ruined a lot of shit. Like, they were so religiously extreme in some ways, they, they got kicked out of several countries before they came over here. Like, they were not good people. We'll do a Thanksgiving episode next year. About why Thanksgiving is garbage? Yes. I appreciate the, like, being thankful for things that you have aspect of it, but the rest is just garbage and should be thrown away. Yep. So things in Europe picked back up again in the 1700s when several notable songs sprang into existence, including one of my personal favorites, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, and The Twelve Days of Christmas. I'm not going to judge you for that at all. That's an amazing carol. It's like, it's got an attitude to it. The little, yeah, like the minor key thing, like it's it's got a lot of good things going for it. Exactly. So there's going to be a lot to unpack here, so everyone hold on to your bonnets. Uh, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, or God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, is a fucking jam that was written in about 1760. Its lyrics are just about the story of the baby Jesus and how he saved us and how we're all so happy and relieved because of it. Basic Christmas stuff. Yeah. I was going to say, the lyrics are pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, I just like the tune and how moody some of the covers can get. Like the Pentatonix (laughs) version. Oh, hell yeah. Damn. (laughs) I love me a good, like, atmospheric cover of God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. Yeah. It's also referenced in A Christmas Carol in the scene when a caroler, in an attempt to earn a few coins from Scrooge, which was, like, accepted at the time, like, that's how people earn money around Christmas, um, he sings that song. Did we cut that out of our version? I don't remember it. I did not have you sing God Rest... Or, no, I didn't have that character because I knew none of you guys would do that. I would have. I have a lovely singing voice. Yes, but you were Scrooge. It would have been weird. Okay, so also, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, the phrase, God rest you, Mary, means may God grant you peace and happiness. Oh, the yeah, comma that goes, sense. Yeah, the comma goes after Mary. I didn't even think of that. I always thought it's, you know, Mary gentleman, yeah. rather than that being the phrase before gentleman. Yeah. Huh, I learned something. The main event in this section is obviously going to be the 12 days of Christmas. Tell me about the 12 days of Christmas. I will. First of all, I know everyone wants to find a deeper meaning in all of the birds. <laughs> But I... The deeper meaning is, birds are great. Exactly. I am here to tell you, the song is not that complicated. <laughs> like most things. Is it about uh, someone's true love giving them just a lot of useless gifts? Exactly. Well, I mean, some of the ones towards the end, not quite useless, depending on what kind of living situation you're in. I mean, I take five golden rings. So the 
The 12 days of Christmas is actually a span of time between Christmas morning and the Feast of the Epiphany on January 6th, when the Magi allegedly turned up to see the baby Jesus. But we know that they probably turned up months later. Yeah, news didn't travel that fast in uh, olden days. They were following a star, Sarah. Oh, right. I'm sorry. (laughs) I forgot magic. So the the time leading up to Christmas is actually called Advent, and it's closer to Lent in terms of vibe and, like, fasting rules. That's when we sing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Yes. Because you want Jesus to come. (laughs) So, in short, feel free to keep that tree up until January, but remember, y'all are supposed to be fasting, like, three days a week and not eating meat on Fridays right now. Yeah. (laughs) No. (laughs) I gave up that during, like, actual Lent. And also all of your 12-day advent calendars, not advent calendars. That hasn't stopped me from opening my 12-day advent calendar religiously. Uh, So the actual song's history is, as expected, hard to pin down. The earliest known versions appeared in a 1780s children's book called Mirth Without Mischief. Nope. Mirth Without Mischief is how that's supposed to be read. I was just going to say. I was overthinking it. Is without in like two words because it's old timey? It's hyphenated. Ah. Um, so some historians think the song could be French, but most agree it was designed as a memory and forfeits game uh, in which singers tested their recall of the lyrics and had to award their opponents a forfeit, which is a kiss or a favor or something like that, if they made a mistake. I mean, it's not that hard. It's only 12 things. Yeah, I mean, thus were the games that people played to amuse themselves before we had Monopoly, right? <laughs> actually, I think Monop- no, Monopoly started in the early 1900s, and it was actually like an anti-landlord game. And then the company stole that woman's idea. It's a whole fucking thing. I, I mean, that's capitalism. Exactly. Uh, so many variations of the lyrics have existed at different points. Some mention bears abating or ships sailing, which are better gifts than I'm sure the alternatives. Except the bears. Maybe not the bears. I'd I'd take a bear. Is it the Chicago bears or physical bears? Well, it was written in, you say, 1780-something. So So the Chicago bears. Okay. Um, Some name the singer's mother as the gift gift giver instead of their true love. Uh, But the song most of us are familiar with today comes from an English composer named Frederick Austin in 1909. Uh, he set the melody and lyrics, and thus we have the perfect way to annoy relatives that we know and love today. And while we're at it, the song was, in no way, used as a way for Catholics to spread their teachings to one another during times of persecution. I can't even begin to fathom how that would be a thing. I know I heard that rumor in, like, grade school, and apparently it's still floating around, to the point where there's a Snopes article about it. Wow. It's not a thing. Like, concealing teachings in in a Christmas carol wouldn't have worked. And it's also too fun to sing for the Catholic Church, so. (laughs) Also, there's no Jesus in it whatsoever. I mean, I guess it would be, like, allegories, but. The the partridge in a pear tree is supposed to be Jesus, if we're going by those rules. How, though? It's, like, it doesn't have any correlation. Like, I looked at, like, what the things were supposed to be, and it wasn't worth my time doing it on this podcast because it it makes zero sense. I mean, I get, like, the 12, whatever the 12 is, being the disciples. The rest, I mean... Uh, this is... It's pulled from the the Snopes article. Okay. So, the partridge in the pear tree was supposed to be Jesus. Sure. Two turtle doves were the Old and New Testaments. Three French hens were the theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity. Four calling birds were the four gospels or the four evangelists. Five golden rings were supposed to be the five books of the Old Testament. Gisa Lang were the six days of creation. Swan Swimming were the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit or the seven sacraments, which I used to know by heart and now I don't. Uh, eight Maids of Milking is the eight Beatitudes, which I also don't remember. Nine Ladies Dancing were the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. Lord's Leaping were the Ten Commandments. And Piper's Piping were the Apostles. And Twelve Drummers Drumming were the twelve points of doctrine in the Apostles' Creed. You see what I mean? I mean, you can make those be anything. Exactly. Also, there are technically 11 apostles because Judas was... Judas doesn't count. He got cut from the team. Yeah. As of the year of our Lord, 2019, the last time this was calculated, the cost of all of the elements in the song is $38,993.59, according to the PNC Christmas Price Index. It's a very generous lover. Uh, This is a 0.2% increase from 2018 and a 95% (laughs) increase from the first calculation in 1984. Man, inflation. 
Um, the site also assumes that gifts are not listed like exponentially growing as the song goes on. So oh, one, like you're not getting yeah. no. It's not like you're getting three things on the second day and yeah, you're that. not getting what's the twelve again? Twelve drummers drumming. Yeah, you're not getting twelve drummers drumming every no, day you are. for ten days. No. Well, no, because I think it would be like on the first day you get the partridge, on the second day you get oh, right, another right. partridge, yeah. and then two calling birds. Anyway, sorry, I for, I feel I kept thinking it goes like in reverse order. It does not. It does, it does when you sing it back. Yeah. So weirdly, the most expensive thing on the list were the eight lords a leaping. Um, but I do have the price list here that we can go over, <laughs> just in case you wanted to like really wow someone this holiday season. Man, if I did have that kind of disposable income, I would do that shit. Oh, just holy shit! Be extra. The uh, the twenty twenty numbers are in. Oh, oh shit! Breaking news! Breaking news! The cost for beep, everything beep, beep, this beep. year is sixteen thousand one hundred sixty eight dollars and forty fourteen cents. So a fifty eight point five percent decrease from last year. Probably because the economy's in the toilet. Damn. <laughs> Coronavirus so, just fucked everything up, didn't it? Well, I mean, this also has the price of everything and how much it increased or decreased from last year. So let's get into it. <laughs> um, so a partridge in a pear tree goes for about $210.18, which is the same as it was last year. Uh, the the partridge is about, I don't know, 10 bucks. Pear trees are very expensive. Partridges are a deal. They're fucking birds, man. Like, we used to have neighborhood partridges when I was growing up. Uh, two turtle doves will cost you about 450 bucks, which is a 50% increase from last year. Never mind. Doves are expensive. Uh, three French hens will run you about 210 bucks, um, which is a 15% increase from last year. Well, that's because people are like doomsday prepping. With their French hens? Yeah, you got to get those chickens. Well, these are French, so like imported. <laughs> uh, four calling birds will run you about 600 bucks. I don't know what a calling bird is. I'm not going to lie to you. I would say any bird that makes a noise. Sure. <laughs> All of them? Uh, we got five gold rings for about $945. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, about a 14.5% increase on that. Really? The price of gold went up? Yeah, yeah. Uh, doomsday preppers. Oh, right. I forgot. We got to go back to the gold standard. Oh, yeah, yeah. So your six geese a laying are going to be about 570 uh, which is 35% increase or decrease. No increase from last year, so... Your seven swans of swimming, and this will surprise you. That's going to run you about $13,125. Damn. Yeah. Apparently swans are expensive. Lots of like variation in bird prices. I wonder who prices, like who decides how much a bird is worth? Oh, I think I realized why the price went down so much. Okay, we'll get there. So eight maids milking is going to run you about $58 because the federal minimum wage remained unchanged. I have no comment on that. No price available for nine ladies dancing because COVID-19 has caused the curtain to drop on most live performances. <laughs> Same with the Lords of Leaping, which last year ran about $10,000 for a professional ballet troupe. Yeah, I would say you can't get that many people together in one place. That's against all, all guidelines and common sense. We also have no price for 11 Pipers piping again due to COVID. Because what is a, uh, I assume, bagpipe? But if I mention, like, mentioned to you during the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Like, I always assumed pipers were like flutes. Could be. That could be. I don't Still, know. it's it's basically a spit rocket. <laughs> um, and no price on the 12 drummers drumming, because that is well over the maximum number of people that is allowed to be in one gathering. Yeah, no, that's too many people. Shut it down. And if you were to have, like, a combination of all of the things, like, each day, so an exponential one... Uh, this year, excluding all live performances and pretty much just the birds and rings. Uh, and I guess the milkmaids can still work. Um, that's going to run as you about... As long as they're a, socially distanced. Exactly. Six feet apart between each cow. It will run you about $105,561.81 for no, just the most birds. <laughs> for just an entire aviary. But yeah, um, so the price went down significantly, significantly this year on account of... Um, of uh rules can't have any fun man covid even fucked no up dancing the... no singing no leaping no f piping no drumming insane just birds just birds Which... and rings and birds and, rings. and socially distanced milkmaids and i mean birds do carry disease so maybe you don't want to mess with them either <laughs> the 12 avian flus of christmas okay 
obviously the time between 1780 and the late 1800s, there were more songs, more festive cheer. However, Victorians brought carols screaming back into popularity with a little activity called caroling. Ooh. The, this time period brought us a lot of the songs we know and love today, such as The First Noel, I Saw Three Ships, The Holly and the Ivy, which is a jam, uh, Joy to the World, and O oh, Tannenbaum, which is literally just a German song about how cool trees are, but then we made it about Christmas time. <laughs> that, like, seriously, if you look at the lyrics to O oh, Christmas Tree, it's just about how cool the tree is. Like, to say nothing of the decorations and whatnot, just how good the tree is. <laughs> Although my favorite cover of the song is Oh Christmas Troy from Community. Oh Christmas Troy, oh Christmas Troy, thy candles shine so brightly. Oh Christmas Troy, oh Christmas Troy, much pleasure thou canst give me. The sight of thee at Christmas tide spreads hope and gladness far and wide. Oh Christmas Troy, oh Christmas Troy. That is the best one. While we're here, we're going to take a little step back into wassailing, which is actually synonymous with caroling at this point. Uh, So the tradition of singing Christmas carols in return for alms or charity began in England in the 17th century after the Restoration, which is the time after Cromwell when we were kind of cleaning up his boring-ass gray mess. Yep. Uh, Town musicians, or waits, were licensed to collect money in the streets in the weeks before Christmas. The custom spread throughout the population um, by the 18th and 19th centuries and up to the present day. Also from the 17th century, there was an English custom, predominantly involving women, uh, of taking a wassail bowl to their neighbors to ask for gifts accompanied by carols. So they take a a bowl. So Christmas trick-or-treating. Yeah, that's basically what caroling is. I mean, some people just do it for shits and giggles now, but, like, it used to be an exchange. Yeah, I was going to say, now you just kind of show up at someone's door and start singing for no reason. Which, honestly, is more creepy. Yes. Uh, I mean, while we're here, uh, the figgy pudding in We Wish You a Merry Christmas was a real thing. It was a Victorian steamed pudding with figs in it. Sounds Uh, delicious. The dish actually dates back to medieval times. But if given the choice between a custardy, cakey thing and a dish with a recipe that was given as take figs and boil them in wine and pound them in a mortar with bread, mix it up with good wine, boil it, add good spices and whole raisins, dress it, decorate it with pomegranate seeds on top, I will take the Victorian version. (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't say that sounds like it would taste bad. There's a lot of wine in it. I'll take it. Wine-soaked figs mixed with wet bread. Yeah, but, like, once you steam it. Like, this have you ever ste- had, like, a bread pudding? This isn't steam. This is just boiled in wine after the paste made of figs and bread is done. Yeah, so it's not going to be, like, soggy bread. It's going to have a different consistency. It is going to be, like, a thick mold wine at that point. Still sounds kind of gross. I think the bread is what's throwing me. You've never had a bread pudding? I've had bread pudding, but, like, not wine-soaked fig bread pudding. <laughs> We're going to jump ahead about 40 years and head over to the United States. We're skipping all the boring carols, I'm we're assuming. Sk- we're skipping. Yeah, I mean, there we're were only some talking that, about like, the good ones. Yeah, there were a lot that happened in the Victorian time, and I'm sure more between them. But we're going to go to the U.S. because why the fuck not? And this might surprise you, but Americans fucking love Christmas. <laughs> really? I guess technically they love capitalism, but <laughs> whatever puts tinsel on trees and a Coke in your hand, it's oh fine. Oh, my God. <laughs> so starting in the 40s, songs also started to lean more towards Christmas-themed but not religious and straight up just about wintertime. No more Jesus. Uh, such as Irving Berlin's White Christmas, which was released in 1940 and remains one of the best-selling singles of all time. A classic. Not even just best-selling Christmas songs, like best-selling songs. Um, and it proved that secular Christmas music could be successful. And a fun fact, Irving Berlin was Jewish. Doesn't surprise me. It shouldn't. Uh, so also during this time, in 1944, a song was written by a man named Frank Losser to sing with his wife, Lynn Garland, at their housewarming party in New York City. They sang the song to indicate to guests that it was time to leave. The song was a hit. And later, in 1948, it was sold to MGM for use in a romantic comedy called Neptune's Daughter, a film that wasn't even kind of about Christmas. And the song won an Academy Award for Best Original Song in 1949. You want to know what the song was? 
I I have uh, an inkling, but I'll let you say it. Baby, it's cold outside. Oh boy, here we go. A song that is not even a little, not even kind of, about sexual harassment. No, it's not. I, I'm 100% on board with you for this one. It just makes me so mad every year. Now, I don't get people's obsession with canceling this song. It like, was written in 1940. You would say it's only creepy if you take it like completely out of context at the time and like exactly. don't have a sense of humor. Exactly. So the song is a playful conversation between two consenting adults who are struggling with the societal norms and expectations that are preventing them from just saying fuck it and spending the night together. Yes. Thank you. It was the 40s. Women were not allowed to express that they might enjoy premarital sex or sex at all and would be judged harshly if people suspected that they did. So, hence the woman in the song's objections, which consist mostly of pointing out what various family members and neighbors would think. Yeah, and nothing to do with her not wanting to stay, only that people will judge her if she does. Exactly. She even says that she wants to say several times. Um, are you going to talk about the line, say oh, what's yes. in this drink? Actually, that's the next point. Great. Uh, the phrase, what's in this drink, was a common idiom of the period used to rebuke societal expectations by blaming one's actions on the influence of alcohol. It's very much a tongue-in-cheek, like, oh, you, yeah, you, you yep. said it. You said it. Thank you. You you very well articulated the argument that's been replaying in my head this it whole time. It is the season. 40s equivalent of ain't no laws when you're drinking the cloth. <laughs> I will say, if you still think this is problematic, uh, She and Him does a cover of Baby It's Cold Outside that is gender swapped and it's is very, very cute. It's um, my favorite. My personal favorite is uh, Seth MacFarlane and I believe Nora Jones. Ooh. Uh, and I think John Legend and Kelly Clarkson did a cover where the lyrics were changed a couple years ago, which like, you don't whatever, I like both. It's fine if it makes people shut up a little bit, but like, Yeah. It was a song written by a married couple uh, about how shitty society was, basically. And it's a good, cute song. It's I love very duets. Cute. I love duets. That's where I am on that. That's actually why I constructed this whole episode. <laughs> Just so to I get could, that rant out. So I could get that rant out in a public forum. And actually, I'm going to say some stuff later that also has to do with me doing this episode, and it might get me canceled personally, but I don't care. The post-war, like post-World War II era, brought a ton of changes to the way Americans celebrated Christmas, namely because they didn't want to rely on Germany for all of their Christmas decorations, <laughs> toys, and traditions, which oh, we had ooh, been. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Um, that being said, the Germans are the best at Christmas. I'm yeah. sorry. I was going to say, I very much associate Christmas with, like, Germans. Yeah, it's, like, uh, Germans through all centuries, uh, Victorian, like, England, and then 1950s America. These yes. are the time periods best at Christmas. Uh, because in Victorian England, like, the main tenet of Christmas was giving back to people. Like, that's what the fucking Christmas carol is all about. So we didn't want to rely on Germany. Understandably. Yeah. Stolen is delicious. Delicious. But... You know, Hitler and everything. So as a result, we got aluminum trees, bubble lights, green bean casserole, and fun Christmas in the 50s stuff. Everything you've seen in A Christmas Story. Did you know that the first fake tree was created by a British toilet brush manufacturer? No, but this doesn't surprise me. Because evergreen tree is not, like, super accessible in Britain. No. Yeah. Probably not the climate for it. Mm, I mean, they have a pretty close climate to, like, the the Northwest. I think they're just not, uh, there just aren't as many evergreen trees as there would be in, like, Germany. Yeah. Which is where the tradition came from. And then Prince, Prince Edward? No. Prince. Albert? Fuck. Albert. Uh, Prince Albert brought that over and the queen was like, oh, I love this. <laughs> Her exact words. The This time period also brought pop and rock hits like Bobby Helms' Jingle Bell Rock. And with 120 million copies sold, Jingle Bell Rock hit number six in its first year, despite having only been released two days before Christmas. Everyone in the Western Hemisphere has heard that song. It's true. Uh, the late 40s and 50s also brought us the dawn of two huge holiday characters, Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Are there songs written about them? Yes. 
I, I, I cannot with you right now. <laughs> um, so although Rudolph was already a literary character dating back to 1939, there's actually a book called Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. The song was written in 1949 by Johnny Marks and recorded by a man named Gene Autry, who you may have heard of, if you have a dad, (laughs) and was arguably what made Rudolph a household name. The popularity was such that the the song reached number one on the charts during the week of Christmas in 1949. Um, And then Frosty was written by Walter, Jack Rollins, and Steve Nelson, who were the team behind Here Comes Peter Cottontail. Also a banger. Exactly. And it was recorded by Gene Autry in 1950 as a way to try and recreate the success of Rudolph. So both, along with Santa Claus's Coming to Town and a couple other children's Christmas books, were used as the basis for claymation holiday specials in the 60s or 70s, 70s, uh, that launched Frosty and Rudolph further into Christmas tradition. Oh, okay. So the songs were written before the cartoons. I kind of always assumed they were written for the cartoons. No. And personally, I'm a bigger fan of The Year Without a Santa Claus because it gave us the Heat Miser and Snow Miser song, which which subsequently resulted in that amazing scene for Batman and Robin. (laughs) Do you not remember this? No. Mr. Freeze is in his lair and uh, he's making all of his minions sing along to the Snow Miser song, but they're all freezing because he lives in a deep freeze. (laughs) I've seen this movie maybe twice, and it's been a while. That's amazing, though. Um, so also written by Johnny Marks of Rudolph fame was a little song called Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree, which was recorded by Brenda Lee in 1958. And while it was, quote, neglected in its first two Christmas seasons, the song hit number 16 on the Billboard pop chart during the Christmas of 1960. So a one good might, song. Yeah, I'm one might argue we just weren't ready for Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree in 1958. <laughs> Here we are now in the in the now times, and there's a lot of holiday music, and not almost all of them are too good. much. Almost too much holiday music, almost I would say. Um, I'm not saying I hate all I want for Christmas is you, um, but I am about to sign off of podcasting for a month and not checking our reviews, so you can all huff my shorts. I don't hate it. I don't like it. It does get. It's gotten overexposed. I don't like Mariah Carey. Oh, that's going to get you some hate. Don't care. I'm not- I'm indifferent, but people might be mad. It's not my fault she couldn't write a Christmas song half as good as Wham's Last Christmas or Boney M's cover of Mary's Boy Child. I'm so, sorry. Last Christmas is one of your favorite Christmas carols. It really is. I'm quitting the podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. We can't be friends anymore. Do you have a problem with the deceased George Michael? Yes, because he gave us that awful fucking song. And I will never forgive him for it. He died on Christmas Day. It was his last Christmas. I will say, I will say it is not the worst Christmas song. No, that's um, Wonderful Christmas Time. Yep. Yeah, I hate it. I love Paul McCartney. Done some good stuff. Wonderful Christmas Time makes me want to shoot my eye out. Although I do like, I'm sure it's like a Tumblr post or something. The theory that simply having a wonderful Christmas time is... um, about people doing witchcraft in the woods and then some people oh, yeah. walk by. <laughs> I do love that one. Um, it's the only thing that will ever make me mildly appreciate that song. Uh, I also like the Beach Boys' Little St. Nick because they sing the lyric, Christmas comes this time each year. And it's like, uh, how much acid were you guys on? Did you run that lyric by Manson? <laughs> maybe Charles Manson wrote it. Oh, they did steal one of his songs. Um uh but uh what's your favorite christmas song or what are your favorite christmas songs i really i honestly really like o come o come emmanuel and it's because we would sing it in choir it is and a we fun would do one. like this whole like choral and like i was the first soprano so i got to sing the really high parts and that was super fun like i really love that one um other than that baby it's cold outside for sure mm, yeah that and one's cute as shit any of Sufjan stevens christmas songs because they are so fucking weird you know who has a good christmas album who uh, Seth MacFarlane. I didn't know he sang. Oh, he has like a Frank Sinatra voice. Like, it's fucking great. He does like strike me as someone who have like a nice deep baritone. Yeah, he has a beautiful voice. And uh, Harry Belafonte also has a fucking rager of a Christmas album. <laughs> I'm going to hell for saying that sentence. <laughs> but like, if you want to hear like a pretty upbeat version of I Saw Three Ships, like that's where you need to go. I also do really like my favorite like classic is uh, Bing Crosby's. 
Mm, Christmas yeah. CD, Christmas album, not CD, not existed. Yeah, I mean, White Christmas, like we've discussed, is Classic. best-selling single of all time. So I know people are probably tired of hearing about English-speaking countries, or maybe they're not, because most of our audience is English-speaking. And who doesn't love hearing about themselves? <laughs> um, but I did find a Mental Floss article with some holiday songs from other countries. Interesting. So now you're going to get to listen to me try to pronounce these... Uh, titles. Merry Christmas to me. So hailing from France, we have a little tune called Petite Papa Noel, which means Little Father Christmas. And the song is told from the perspective of a child anxiously awaiting the arrival of Santa Claus on Christmas Eve. Sounds cute. It sounds very cute. Uh, I know I went through this entire episode without mentioning Feliz Navidad, which is actually also one of my favorite Christmas songs, but it's the cover by Charo that I like. (laughs) Not heard that one. Also, Katie Lang doing Jingle Bell Rock on the Pee Wee's Playhouse Christmas special will change your life. (laughs) It's so fucking weird. But then you also get Grace Jones doing The Little Drummer Boy. Also a fucking trip. (laughs) It's this very solid Christmas special. Uh, So from Puerto Rico, we have La Fiesta de de Pelito, um, which is Pelito's party and focuses on the most important part of the holiday season, party food. That is the only thing that matters. Yeah, Christmas is a great snack holiday. From South Korea, we have Snow Candy by the K-pop group Starship Planet. They sound cool. I I couldn't listen to the song because the link that I found was not available in this country. Sad. I mean, it sounds like it's... It sounds like it's K-pop. So from Nigeria... Gonna have to try to pronounce this. uh, From Nigeria, we have Betelehemu which is a Yoruba Christmas song written by the Nigerian drummer Babatunde Olatunji. Um, and then from Norway, we have Musa Visa, which is the mouse song. And it tells the story of a family of mice celebrating the holidays. Okay, that's my favorite. I haven't even heard it. But they're living in constant fear of getting caught in a mousetrap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's Christmas? That's some existential dread. And then there's the Wexford Carol from Ireland, which is a song that hails from the 12th century. And, it's a very uh, Irish thing to be and do. From the 12th century? Just hang, yeah, hang on to a song for centuries. And actually, I, this was another not available uh, thing when I went to look it up. But for the sake of airwaves, I'm going to look it up right now. It's supposed to be very recognizable. It sounds familiar, just the name. I mean, probably because I am familiar with Wexford, but... Well, we've got a couple versions. We have the Mormon Tabernacle Choir... Uh, we have Yo-Yo Ma and Alison Krauss. We have Celtic Woman, which seems like our best bet. I was going to say Yo-Yo Ma, but... I mean, these women are very specifically qualified. I'm sorry, Yo-Yo Ma is not qualified? Never heard of this. It's very pretty, though. Anyway, that's Christmas music, and now I'm going to read my sources. <laughs> oh, right. Uh, there were a lot. This was a lot to research. Um, I'm I sure it's just one of those things you don't find in one place. No, there you was a lot of gotta kind of jump picking. around. Um, so we have an article called The Evolution of the Holiday Song from L. 15 Holiday Songs from Other Countries from Mental Floss. Why do Christmas carolers walk around the neighborhood singing by How Stuff Works? The real story uh, behind the carol Good King Wenceslas uh, from Classic FM and the 12 Days of Christmas, the story behind the holiday's most annoying carol from Vox. I feel like Vox didn't need to editorialize. (laughs) I was going to say, have they heard Simply Having a Wonderful Christmas Time? God, I hate it. I hate it so much. Almost as much as uh, All I Want for Christmas is You. But it should be noted that I worked in retail for three years. Mm, That'll do it. I also have some feelings about Michael Buble that I'm still getting over. Look, we all had a Michael Buble phase. Yeah. Um, Oh, and also the PNC Christmas Price Index.com for the 12 Days of Christmas. Right, of course. Um, Kind of a cop out that they didn't get estimates for all of the people-based gifts, but what are you going to do? Yeah. It, It is a pandemic. These are very trying times for everybody. Um, that being said, we are going on break. Uh, yeah, technically. We've got a mini next week. Oh, shit. Yeah, I forgot I did that. Yep. So I, Don't a... worry. I remember everything. <laughs> uh-huh. We have a mini next week, and then we are going on break until late January? Yes. January 27th, I believe. Mm, yes. Nice long winter break. I am going to settle in for a long winter's nap. Yeah, I'm hibernating completely. <laughs> so, during that time... 
Please remember that we are still looking for fun facts from you guys for our 100th episode. So you can send in either a written fun fact or you can do a voice memo and send that to afternoonifiedpod at gmail.com. And we will play the clip on the show. We'll read it. It'll be it'll be fun. Do our job for us. Yeah, I say, teach us a thing because we're sick of talking to you. <laughs> If you want to talk to us about other stuff, we are on Instagram at Afternoonified, Twitter at Afternoonified, uh, getafternoonified.com. Uh, please remember to rate, subscribe, review, all of that fun stuff. All the good stuff. Check out our merch. I think it's a, by this point, it's a little late to order it and get it in time for Christmas, but you can send, you can like give someone the receipt and tell them it's coming. Yeah. Or send them a nice picture. Put it in a card. Yeah. Or no, even better, like print out of a picture. Put it in a box, put a rock in the box so it feels heavy, uh, and then wrap that box, and then put that box in another box, and then wrap that box. And then mail it to yourselves, and then smash it with a hammer. Yes. Um. Anyway, uh, happy Christmas and holidays, everybody. Yes, we love you. Enjoy your holidays if you celebrate, and if you don't, enjoy just all the nice food that's kind of just around. Yeah. A Trader Joe's has... Just a cornucopia of delicious peppermint flavored things <laughs> right now. So many good treats. I <sighs> love Christmas snacks. <laughs> All right. Goodbye. Goodbye. We love you. Just kidding, it's actually me, Avalon, the host of Boohaha, which is a thing that I do. A podcast, if you will, that happens some weeks, not all. Don't wait up, it's fine, we'll call you. Shut up. Anyway, it's about ghosts and tangents. Mostly tangents, if I'm being entirely honest. So join me each and every week-ish as I gather the funniest people I know to a campfire that I build in my living room and then regale them with spooky tales of boogans and googas. Oh, also, it's a comedy podcast, if that wasn't clear from the vibe, you know. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is as above, so below.